0: Okay, we are officially back after a multi-week COVID-related hiatus and this is episode number 36 of No Puts Given, the first work from home episode with the exception of Harry. So, let's get it.
1: No Puts Given is powered by My Golf Spy, the most extensive reviews in golf. Before you buy, My Golf Spy. 9 million readers do it every year. Check us out.
0: All right, so like we said, everyone is working from home today. We've got Adam, Chris, Tony, and Harry, and I'm Miranda, and we're going to talk everything that we've been missing uh, since our last show. But to start off, guys, how's everyone doing?
1: I love Um, pandemic life, man. This is the best. Um, Get to spend time with the kids. um, Different style of school that the kids, I think, are enjoying. Uh, Still busy at work, so I I couldn't ask for anything better, honestly.
2: I'm pulling my hair out,
0: just to <laughs> say.
2: That's why I'm in the studio doing this and not at home.
0: Why? Because your wife's driving you nuts? She's
2: driving me crazy.
0: I can imagine. I know her, but I, I tend to like her, but, you know, I get it. Yeah. Chris, do you have seven daughters under the same roof during quarantine?
3: Yeah, it's a one-room schoolhouse, so we have, uh, you know, nine of us here just in general. So, actually, you know, girls done a great job, like, not stepping on people's toes and that kind of stuff. But it, it you know, it's getting to the point where, you know, any producers out there you're looking for a reality TV show, I have got a couple couple fantastic pitches for you and I would call it the sorority. Um, so I've been spending a lot of time in the garage. Um, spent a lot of time with my dog. So
0: Speaking of Dogs, Tony, how's it going?
4: I mean it's good here. It's a little weird having my, my wife home all day long. That's um that that takes some getting used to. I mean I work from home all the time. Uh, Rough on... Oh, come on. Dog's all tangled up in the mic. Hold on a second. Lenny. Dog is obviously getting big, the puppy. Um, Yeah, science class around here for the kid is uh, helping out with the measuring of golf balls. So (laughs) we're staying busy, I guess you could say.
0: Well, speaking of the pandemic and everything that's going on, it's most absolutely affecting... Golf, the industry, courses are closing, manufacturers aren't going to work. And Tony, I know you put out an article not too long ago, but even since then, things have changed. It looks like it's the big manufacturers are that are being hit the hardest, right?
4: Uh, to an extent, I mean, they're gonna they're feeling it now because sales are are virtually non-existent. Uh, hopefully, that'll that'll tick up a little bit here as, as things starting to open up a little bit, but. But the bigger issue, kind of the long-term problem, is you have all of this this inventory, essentially three months of peak selling season inventory that hasn't been touched. And so, to kind of get where they need to be at the end of the year, uh, they're going to have to make some hard choices from a pricing perspective and, and figure out how to how to unload the inventory in time for 2021 product, or potentially, although I don't think it's it's likely, decide to carry over products for an additional year. And so you know you look at tailor made callaway for example um, fully loaded with with 2020 product and and you still have ping and on the other on the other end of it you have ping and titleist at the end of their cycles who who are ping has already said they're going to hold product until 2021 titleist is probably going to do the same so the the stuff that we probably would have otherwise seen in the summer and fall isn't going to come this year either so it could be
1: worse i mean like the beer companies are having to dump all those kegs out and milk's having to be dumped out golf clubs are just sitting there collecting dust waiting for golfers to pick them up when they get back
4: yeah I'm I mean there's yeah you're not gonna scrap them but you're you're gonna do heavy discounts or bogos or a combination so it's going to be really intriguing when we get kind of closer to the other end of this thing to see yeah I think I think discounts are a given my only question is how much so
1: I don't know how I much? think it's interesting right like you've got companies that are laying people off furloughing people but you've got companies that you know Callaway's laid off Hundred plus employees furloughed, three hundred plus employees. You know, Taylor Made, Titleist, everyone's furloughing a lot of employees and letting Any, somebody. Anybody
4: go, right? without a, you know, all the assembly plant guys, right, or anybody who who can't do their job remotely, you can't you can't really assemble golf clubs from home, right? So it's but there's we'll also
1: companies goals. that are doing really well right now. You take putting green companies, hitting net companies, push cart. Push <laughs> These three types of products and the companies behind them are seeing record sales for no other reason than the pandemic, right? So there's good and bad. And I also think coming out of this, there is going to be good coming out of this. It's going to clean some of the fluff out. It's going to force people to sharpen their axe a little bit, shine their star a little bit differently and come out of this with, I think the people that are outside the box thinkers are going to come out of this uh, stronger. I mean, I think PXG is a good example.
4: That's a,
1: that's a, would you, would you describe PXG as a mid-sized golf company? Uh, well, <laughs> <they're> <laughs> Sorry, inside, it's inside inside joke, joke. <laughs> but no, PXG, I think was built for this more than most people. So when they started their distribution channel, wasn't as much green grass and the retail stores, which the industry kind of fought, right? They didn't, you know, they wanted to take care of their, their pro shops and their, professionals and sell through a lot of retail chains but ultimately they weren't prepared for this which is built for direct sales right and pxg immediately saw an opportunity i think and discounted clubs they rose they rose the price up yeah. here yeah. rose the price up here and they made everybody come up to them and then they just dropped the price to half off and all those other companies are sitting there going holy shit like PXG is moving a lot of product right now from what I hear. And all the other companies are freaking the freaking the fuck out right now. I mean, we're talking to companies and you can hear it in their voice. They don't know what's going to be left of their company coming out of this, many of them. And PXG <laughs> seems to be totally good to go. Well, you know, Adam, that- one
0: of those companies is Callaway, right? One of the, the biggest names in golf, Callaway, is really hurting.
1: A hundred percent. I mean, from what I'm hearing, you know, and who, the people we've talked to, like I said, One, you hear it in their voice. Um, They had bought a company uh, basically for a lot of money that isn't panning out as well. And also, it seems like it was financed. So you got to pay those bills like rent. And there's not a lot of money coming in right now to pay those bills. So coming out of this, a company that had done pretty much everything right for close to five to seven years is coming out of this maybe in a lot of trouble, you know? And you hear it not only in the people that you talk to that they let go that you speak to, but you hear it from the people that are still currently there.
3: Well, and I think that's the to me that's one of the more interesting parts of this. Are you know there's the minutia, the day to day of okay, this company laid off X amount of people and the numbers and and do products carry over or not? Um, <clears throat> what I'm more interested to see, I think, is are some of these structural changes, right? So I think what you're talking, you know, the structure of a more direct to consumer platform as opposed to certain retail channels. And think about it from like the fitting side, chatting with the people like right away we didn't talk about this a ton, but like Club Champion was one of the people laid off a ton of people right away. And and some people I spoke with felt like they maybe even jumped the gun a little bit. But when you look at their structure They have a lot of brick-and-mortar stores, right? That's how they operate. Compare that to somebody else like a TrueSpec where they more or less lease space at a lot of green grass accounts. In most of the contracts with leases, if that place is shut down, you're not paying your rent. You don't have to. So if I'm leasing from a golf course and they're shut down, I'm not sitting there with a, a store that I have to pay for. Great point, Chris.
1: So it really depends on how are you doing during this pandemic depends on how your company is structured and built, right? So Precisely. people that are a little bit skinnier or leaner and meaner, they're seeing this as an opportunity, right? Um, the companies that were, were not built for this, you know, that had a lot of overhead, I think we're going to see some some real big changes. And I think it's going to force the hand on golf retail has been broken for decades. I mean, it's it's just the golf consumer is not taken care of properly, in my opinion, at big box retail. And I think there might be some shifts that happen because of this, you know?
0: Well, Tony, you've alluded to this. Some of the leaner companies might be at risk as things get back to quote unquote normal if the bigger OEMs liquidate, right?
4: Yeah, there's uh, certainly, right. It's, you know, we, we have, there are small brands who have positioned themselves as as value brands to an extent. So, you know, if I'm going to give you some examples, I think Sub-70 qualifies. Tour Edge, a name most golfers know, qualifies. Um, the, the, the new Ben Hogan, kind of that, that revamp Ben Hogan qualifies. It's not to say people buy their, their products exclusively for value, but the probably the most attractive piece of any of those brands in the marketplace is that their price tag is so far below the industry leaders. So if you have a, you know, if you're selling your driver for, i mean what say 300 right and and callaway is at five that 200 dollars is a big deal if if things get as bad as i think they could i don't think you know i think a maverick's minimum 399 it's possibly 350. so at that point you know now now it's 50 dollars between what you were looking at and you know what is considered to be one of the one of the top drivers on the market you're you're probably going to overcome that And and the reality is those those smaller brands typically offer uh, operate on razor thin margins. So cutting their prices to go even farther below the other guys isn't really an option. So you want to you want to hear
1: about something that's going to be interesting coming out of this is Costco is ready to pounce and they're going to be coming out with golf balls that, from what I hear, aren't even named the same thing. Will the covers stay on? They're not going to be available even at Costco. They're going to be sold in different stores. They're coming out with a putter called the KS1 in June. They're coming out with wedges. And from what I hear, they're interested in going the full bag when this comes out. So they see this as an opportunity. One, they know that they can manufacture golf equipment if they go through the right people. And they've already got immediate distribution channels. Two, they cannot be beat at price, period. Meaning Kirkland Signature stuff is what's called a loss leader. They don't make profit off that. They use those to gain you know subscription pe- you know people coming through and paying their subscriptions, right? So these putters are going to be rock bottom price. These wedges are going to be rock bottom price. They see this as an opportunity to come out there with golf equipment that can compete with the name brands at a price that no
3: one can compete with so that's my that I was going to say that's my question, and Harry, maybe you thought about this too or or others, like where does this then start to reset potentially the expectation around, around what constitutes a fair price? I mean, if these big companies can all of a sudden you know slash prices, do whatever the case is, and go down to $399, $349, does that reset my expectations as a consumer as to what's a reasonable price to pay? Saying, hey, if you could charge $349 for it last year, are you going to be able to come back in 2021 and go back to $529, $549? we shall see right i
2: think i think there's going to that if that is the case it's going to they're going to see a drop in their sales because if they can sell it like chris said for 399 and they and they go up to 549 i don't think people are going to they're just going to go from last year's product
1: there was one high up exec at a big golf company that basically put it pretty quick who the f- is going to buy $500 drivers coming out of this you know
2: mm-hmm. i don't i haven't I haven't, really seen, I haven't really seen a pandemic to be honest in the soft goods industry it's absolutely been blown up just by looking at it
1: but but that's interesting because golf courses are packed that's a different story so golf is almost split in half right now the golf courses are packed but the golf retail stores are closed right so golfers still need stuff like push carts and they're at home so they need putting greens and they want nets but golf club sales are non-existent right now in regards to hard goods like drivers through putters
4: yeah it's gonna be interesting to see what happens in terms of like the the over, overall participation in the game coming out of this because like you said like courses are legitimately packed right now at least in my area rounds plate i would assume are up because i keep you know i'm in the loop i get emails i see what's going on and i mean courses that are are typically Booked from 8 a.m. to 11 a.m. and then you know wide open in the afternoon are now are now saying hey our first available tea time is three o'clock and that that's pretty consistent all over the place, and and the reason that's ha- that's happening is right, it's it's really the only thing you can do short of short of going for a, a bike ride or you know going for a climbing a mountain something like that and the kind of the thing is I I thought through like where are all these people coming from kids aren't playing sports right now at all right and they're and and they don't have extracurriculars and other activities to go to there's no birthday parties there's there's none of that stuff No that, team sports that that takes us all away from the golf course as parents and so you know that's it's not only is it all you can do it's it's an opportunity you haven't had in years so You know so it's, what it's, that's a
1: great point Tony because golf was a a sport that when we were younger was you know sports were divided you played baseball then you played football then you played basketball right now sports are such year-round. There's so many alternatives for kids to play so many things when they go up, get home from school on a daily basis. Golf became something that was not as prioritized to play, right? And now,
3: I think you're right. I think it might grow after this. You know? Yeah, it's a pandemic-friendly sport, and there's not that many that are. People are reevaluating what activities work and and in what context and you know, a couple of my daughters play soccer and their seasons have been put on hold, et cetera. And so, um, one of them actually asked me, he said, Hey, Hey dad, can we go play golf tomorrow? I was like, uh, yeah, let me get my work done and we'll go see. But yeah, I mean, that's, it's, it's something that, that we can go do together and I don't have to worry about some of these other things and scheduling and this, that, and and whatever. Um, it's super nice to be able to do that. So yeah, you, might, you uh,
2: definitely and, might see a younger generation come up and this might be the the older generations where it's dying but the younger generations because of this pandemic they might have not picked up a golf club hey,
1: you know what's funny Let's about stop. that they've been trying to grow golf all this time with all these like initiatives it's the best way to grow golf is to have a pandemic yeah right. it yeah. might be
2: it might be because that that <coughs> might be the way that it kicks forward and you never know you might see influx of golf junior clubs or whatever it is so you
1: don't need 15 inch cups like to put into to grow the game <laughs> <How about laughs> maybe
4: that? Yeah, I mean, what, what, what? To me, is the big unknown. I, everybody's playing now, but is it sustainable? Right. The, what happens when when life goes back to to quote normal end quote, and then you know does does golf kind of go back right right to where it was before we we kind of restarted or, or pressed the pause button on day to day life or or are there going to be a significant number of people who who are coming out of the pandemic going, man, that was, that was really fun. I enjoyed that. Now I'm going to go spend money on new equipment. I mean, when do you
1: see normal coming back? Honestly. I
0: don't know if we ever really get totally back to normal. What's normal? normal? I like, I I think
4: think in terms of, you know, if, if normal was what, what things looked like last year, for example, I think you, you write off this year entirely. And I, for golf, it's obviously how how soon is retail semi-normal so that, that companies can start st- selling clubs and start p- paying employees again and things like that? I mean, to me it was crazy uh, talking to the guys at Titleist. The ball plants are shut down, so which which makes perfect sense within the larger scope. But this idea that like there is a very real possibility that Titleist. Titleist golf balls could run out of, of inventory on store shelves and not be able to replenish them. So it's, and that's, you know, that's true for everybody who makes balls in, in the USA, especially. Uh, so, yeah. So I mean, does Union Green get to
1: stay open since there was only like one guy <laughs> and he can social distance? <laughs> Well, that—that's a kushnet, So, I, uh. oh, damn it! Damn it. <laughs>
0: but do you think—do you think this pandemic has maybe set a pres- precedent of having contingency plans for something like this, whatever it may be? I mean, this was se- somewhat unpredictable on the grand scale. Do you think companies will now have this in mind going forward as they make financial decisions and other types of decisions?
1: I don't see how you don't. I can yeah, tell you yeah, one—I can tell you one person's life is ain't going to change, and that's Tony yeah. Covey's. He's going to be sitting right there.
3: <laughs> it's a, you know, I think from an economic standpoint, Miranda, it's a good question because that's what we are. And we're not going to get into a, a political stance in some of these things, but we're reactionary, right? We, we tend to do better. There There's more will, effort, energy when something happens to respond to it. So, of course, I think every company is going to have plans around what do we do if we can't do A, B, or C. I think you might see people put into place some of those contingency plans more permanently, like is there a percentage of people that could work from home one day a week even, two days a week, Um, things that they found, hey, this is actually better for us in some ways. So not even just contingency plans, but how do we change maybe some of what we're doing anyway that we found out throughout this was was actually a little bit better, a little bit more efficient?
0: Well, the pandemic has directly affected my golf spy. My golf spy's backbone is testing, and of course, that was shut down in mid to early March. Harry, what's the facility been like without testers in coming through a revolving door every day?
2: It's it's been very isolating uh, to put it that way. I mean, I am busy doing my soft goods, but I don't see another human being until I go home. So for me, it's it's a little bit. It's disheartening because I, I, I want to see all my testers come in and I want to get through the testing because I get to see certain trends going on within the industry. That's just through the hard goods testing. Um, so on that side, it's kind, of, it's kind of sad, but I'm busy doing all my soft goods testing as of, as of now.
0: And actually, because of the pandemic, the testing schedule changed. You put a couple of emergency tests into the rotation early, right?
4: here's a bunch of stuff you want and can't buy because it's all sold out. <laughs> yes,
2: exactly. But that's but when they do replenish the, the stocks, this is what you can go buy. Um, but putting mats and uh, push carts and hitting nets um, were like on top of everyone's list to try and get hold of because when you go on a golf course now, you can only walk. Uh, and if you don't carry your bag, then push carts are your next option. So... Um, those three were pretty important for us to get out there and and, and test as many products as we can. Because I've tried to get products in there with bigger names, but you just can't get hold of them. Even the manufacturers who supply them are sold out and can't send any. And they can't get a hold of any more. So,
0: so they didn't even make it into the tests.
2: They, we couldn't because there was none. Mm-hmm. There, it was the gold dust. There was none out there.
3: Yeah, Birdie Ball. I mean, yeah, Birdie Ball is an hour and a half or so for me. and. You know I offered to drive up there and pick up whatever and yeah like,
2: I mean that that was my that was my um, my thing I, I phoned you up Chris and said, hey look we can't get it here in time can you pick it up and, and I'll go I'll show you through the uh, protocols and it was just not like, we just couldn't do it so it's just reality at the moment yeah so Wait. for
1: everybody out there that was screaming and yelling at us for not testing these products we did try um, but it is yeah, a I pandemic.
4: Think- it was it was amazing to me when you know fortunately we got we were able to get them in and test but you know double checking some stuff and doing the editing on the on the pushcart buyers guide to go to to go to the clickgear website and see that every single model they sell is sold out like just yeah. kind of gives you a sense of you know where where everybody's gravitating to and and one thing i do wonder right if you know i am not going to say that that i closely track my budget for every one of my interests but if you are somebody who says hey i spend you know my my budget for golf equipment this year is is x and you unexpectedly have to drop 200 plus on that on a push cart for example is that one less piece of equipment you're going to buy elsewhere
2: well it's a good thing as well that we're actually that there is no price gouging on those because they could sell those for like a thousand (laughs) bucks and people would buy them
3: well yeah and i was talking with the, the national distributor for them, I said, you know, trying to get an idea of what their growth was at and, and everything. He said, you know, here's the problem. We have the next two containers that are coming in, you know, 40-foot-long containers, whatever. They're already allocated. They're already sold. He said, I literally have one push cart in our warehouse, and it's a pink one. I was like, well, I'll take it. <laughs> I want it. But, sold. <laughs> but the point was that I said, well, I said, how you know, percentage-wise, compared to last year, year over year, you know, wh- how much are you guys' sales up? And he's like, you know didn't really want to tell me a whole lot but the point was they have no idea they could be up as much as they could possibly they don't have enough product no No, no
1: time to count cash
3: no no i mean if they drop a hundred dollar bill and i mean they're losing money to stop and pick it up right at this point because everything's just going so fast they can't fulfill enough orders to realize their full growth that's crazy
0: Harry, can we talk about some of the specific products? You did a hitting net test, a putting mat test, and a push cart test. What were some of the winners from those three things that are pandemic related?
2: Well, the hitting, the putting mats, Big Moss was one of the, was the number one, but again, we couldn't test one of the biggest ones in the industry, which is birdie mm-hmm. ball. So. Once we get all of them in and, and this pandemic has settled down, I can get products in and then I can add to the buyer's guides that we already done. So for now, it's Big Moss for the putting green. Um, there's There was one pretty cool one called the perfect putt where it has a little ramp and it feeds all the way back down. Um, and that was, a quick, that was a quick green. So if you wanted to replicate your green, if it's a quick, say, uh, 11 on a stint meter, that's a perfect um, putt. Putting that for it. <laughs> Perfect there you go, pun intended. Um and then you come to hitting nets, and we managed to get pretty much all of them apart from a couple of brands, which Rocket we again Rocket guys. was a is a big one that everyone screamed and yelled about when we published the article. Even though we put a disclosure in there and said, cannot get all of them
1: um hey harry yeah. people don't people don't read anymore maybe. yeah i know i've never read anything in my <laughs> life I've if we put it. a pi- if we put a picture that said hey look here they might have seen it yeah <laughs>
2: um so the the winner on that one was the the net returner i mean the, it's it's a great product but i personally my editor's choice would have been the um fornia. the what sorry what was it fornia unbelievable i can't even say that word either. somebody else say it one more time it somebody spornia right with an s, <laughs> s- yeah the guy that tests it's your products folks. but this this product was pretty sweet i mean it if you're indoors all the ones that i tested were so loud it actually deafens your ear but this one has like a muffled a muted sound when going in and it just feeds back straight to you so that was a huge plus for those who want to do it inside plus you can take that outside um and it's a good good size with nets on the side. So if you're shanking it like me in the off season, it's going to catch it and not break a window.
0: And push carts. What
2: about those? That was yes. the most recent one. Push carts. We, we got a lot of the um, top name brands in that one. And the Rovik RV1S. Um, it's a click gear. Yeah, under the click, click gear umbrella. Um, but we can't really say that because I got told off. So it's Rovik. RV1S, that is just it's this great model. I mean, you've got the 360 front wheel that cha- you get to change direction whenever you want, and it's got the durability um, of a, a click gear because it's... Because <laughs> it's aerobic?
1: What? <laughs> Why would it? <laughs>
4: it's like Union Green all over again.
1: I mean, if you're going to invest money in push carts, it's either click gear, bag boy, or if you want dirt, the size component, like to get into something small, the Big Macs are probably the three best options.
2: Mm-hmm. Yeah, and when it comes to it, there is companies out there. If you have a junior, for instance, that is perfect coming into the industry and wanting to join the game, they have junior models out there if they wanna wanna put it on. There. So Bag Boy and Click go had a good one. Um, apart from that, go read the article. You can see see what um, was good and what was bad.
0: Have you talked to any of the manufacturers of all these things that are sold out indefinitely? Do they have target dates for when they'll have more in stock at all?
2: Um, I've spoken to some and they don't even know because the manufacturers that they got their product from is not operational right now. So they can't
3: get an estimate on when it's going to be returned. So
0: how about you, Chris? Did you have any updates yeah, like that? Yeah,
3: I mean, mid-May is, you know, what they said a couple weeks ago when we were chatting, and so we'll see. Like I said, part of that is there's going to be so much pent-up demand, depending on people that had orders, whether they kept those orders, backed out of those orders, or revised them. If they did, then, you know, certain amounts are already allocated and spoken for, but that would mean that those tend to be larger accounts, right, like a PJ Superstore or Dick's Golf Galaxy or something, where then it would be back in stock at those locations. So, Um, You know, if I were a bet man, I'd say third week in May, um, probably, uh, you know, you'll see some more availability, but, uh, um, you know, April, obviously, first part of May is going to be pretty thin.
0: So what's next, Harry? What are you testing now?
2: Uh, I am testing a lot of products at the same time. I've tested stand bags and cart bags, and I'm moving on to Sunday bags and spiked and spikeless shoes. Hey, Harry, which
1: one are you most excited about?
2: Test-wise? Yeah. I did get
1: excited the other day
2: on the stand bags.
1: <laughs> wait, wait a second. You were telling me shoes is what you're all jacked but up. But I about. did.
2: That, I, I'm excited about the shoes. But then when I was testing the bags, I was kind of excited about product. The companies have changed their design. I, can't, I couldn't believe that they got better. I'm going
1: to put you on the spot. What is the best product that you like personally since you've been testing since the pandemic? Coolest thing? Coolest thing?
2: I would say a hitting net just because you get to practice inside without yeah, swinging and, and breaking everything. Yeah, Wait, to
0: explain this to me though. You said a hitting net was loud. What makes it loud?
2: The backboard. The okay. backboard pretty much. So when it hits the, hit the material, if it's not, if it's like a sheet, it just goes into it and it just okay. makes a huge sound. But if it's a cloth material, if you think like about in, it like a bed or a, or a sheet, And it hits into it, it's compacting and muted. By the way,
1: let's update this for everybody because uh, a lot of people have gone out and bought um, hitting nets and screens after our test. And I've gotten a lot of email and feedback from people going, man, this is a shitty golf ball. It cracked, you know? So just so everybody (laughs) understands out there, it's not the actual ball that has the problem. When the ball, especially on high spin shots, when it hits a screen, that quick stopping power actually causes the ball to crack over time.
4: Yeah, I mean, it's it's fair to say that that some balls are more durable than others, and you know, once upon a time this wouldn't have been a consideration, right? I, because like, who who hits a hits a golf ball several hundred times with a driver, right, um, or something like that? So usually, sort of real world fatigue hasn't been a realistic concern, but as more and more guys are are putting simulators into their house or or buying hitting nets, anything that that causes the ball to stop abruptly puts fatigue on it and so yeah this is kind of a a new avenue in, in golf ball durability where people are sending us pictures and saying hey you know what is this is this the ball what's going on and you're like oh it's it's a small degree it's the ball maybe another ball would have lasted a little bit longer but ultimately it's it's that abrupt stop that's that's doing the damage
3: don't hit it so hard <laughs> There you
0: go. all right adam i want to revisit something that you touched on earlier in the podcast but um, costco is really sneaking in there with a a new line of wedges and putters and um, the golf ball. I want to get more into detail about what you know about the Costco situation post-pandemic.
1: I mean, don't know a whole lot. I mean, like I said, we've talked to a couple sources there and from what I hear, a couple things that seem to be true are that they are serious about getting into the golf space. Two- I, ho- I heard that there was going to be a new ball, and it will not be called the Kirkland Signature. It will be called something else. And from what I was also told, it will not even be sold in Costco, which is interesting. Um, my assumption there is that if they want, you know, people go to Costco for deals, right? I mean, everybody knows people that shop, yeah, shop at Costco, five gallons of mayonnaise, whatever you need to get. But people are going there for deals. The hardcore golfer does not go to Costco looking for high-performance golf equipment. My thought would be, and this is just an assumption, like I said, that if they start to test the waters outside of the Costco shelving space, they could potentially have a new distribution channel for a brand that is not necessarily named Kirkland Signature that the that could be sold in both places, basically, right? Mm-hmm. And the serious golfer would potentially take them more seriously. And that's not who's walking through Costco. So the other thing is I heard they were going to come out with a three wedge set, uh, a putter in June, and then they are debating on whether or not to come out with drivers and irons.
0: Now, we saw a picture of the putter. It is a Kirkland brand, uh, the KS1, right? But you said it looked eerily reminiscent of another putter currently on the market.
1: Yeah, the people that make the ball do not make the putter for Costco. So SM Global, I think, Tony, are they still going to be the ones tied in with the ball? Correct?
4: Yeah. So I mean, they're SM. It's it's kind of a weird situation. So SM Global is basically a logistics company, import export that sort of thing. They kind of manage the the relationships. Seinfeld. With, yeah. Yeah. Like Vandalay Industries. Exactly. Um, but a division of SM Global, if you will, uh, called SM Parker owns the ball plant in China that used to be called Phantom. So, you know, I don't want to say it's a top tier factory. It's probably tier two. And and that's the factory that, that has produced um, some of the Costco balls. But that, yeah, so that company is, is deeply entrenched with Costco. And they are, and this is, from what I understand, in the process of opening up a new ball plant in Vietnam, which would represent significant cost savings over China. So I think when we talk about, the golf ball piece of of costco's larger golf strategy the the ability to to trim prices by by shifting to vietnam is going to be a big part of it
1: and it will be for profit it won't be a lost leader type situation from the ball but the putter was not manufactured or made by them it was made by a different design group and that looks to be odyssey you
3: know Mm -hmm. from the looks of the putter and the weights i mean you look at the weights the configuration a couple of the things there's there's some pretty solid hints in there
0: Okay, so that's some things that consumers, again, are winning at the end of the pandemic. They're getting cost effective golf balls, putters while they're shopping for their bulk chips or whatever as else long it may as be.
1: The, as long as the covers stay on the golf ball and the faces stay in the putters.
2: Yeah, I was going to say, is it going to be the same quality as yeah. the Kirkland? Because I know they recalled their last manufacturer of balls, and anything that Costco does, the quality is normally like top notch. So,
4: yeah, I mean, the quality of the the first kind of the that that 4-piece Kirkland signature that kind of set the golf world on on fire. Great. That ball, the quality of that ball is going to be really really tough to match because you know, kind of the engineering behind, team behind the design, the cast urethane cover, um, you know, these are these are things that that ultimately made for a better ball. The uh the, the kind of that second generation four piece that literally fell apart was, you know, injected urethane from a from a company that doesn't have a lot of experience with that. And there looked to be some some chemistry problems. So, you know, to to resolve that and get things right with a with a brand new factory out of the gate, certainly not impossible. I'm, I'm just going to say it's going to be interesting to watch and see what the what the quality and consistency of that product is. Oh, kind of like
1: TPT, which is, you know, just come out with a new shaft line. Both had, you know, manufacturing issues and they have one opportunity to get it right. And if they screw it up this time, either Costco with the ball or TPT, uh, I think it will be their last shot at those two products.
0: Mm -hmm. Chris, can you tell us a little bit more about the TPT Red Range? It's the new line of shafts. Yeah,
3: Yeah, so really, you know, just kind of brief recap, Um, you know, TPT hit the market not that long ago. Not that many people had heard. Um, you know much about them really they're differentiating technology the idea was being that it was a fully automated process and so um, some people think that uh, handcrafted or hand rolling table rolling golf shafts is kind of a unique or special thing that's pretty much the way it's been done for the last three i mean give or take three decades Um, and so their process is totally different by by everybody it's not a one-off like it's yeah so let's let's
1: drive that home like when you see handcrafted or hand rolled that is Fancy words like limited edition to make something sound better than it is. That's that's standard operating procedure for making a shaft, right?
3: Yeah. I mean, it's like if I were to say, Oh, I hand rolled my vacuum cleaner through my carpet, like or, well, your, or your burrito, fine. you hand roll right. your burrito, right? All day, every day. <laughs> the only way to do it <laughs> so so yeah so uh, tpt kind of taken a different approach right so they are big in sales formula one racing these kind of things using carbon composite when he
4: says sales he means like yachting
3: yes yacht Boats. yachting yachting like boat <laughs> racing <laughs> um and long story short they came out to the market had a had a club or had a shaft that was um very volatile, right? I mean, the history was volatile. There were a lot of highs and a couple lows. People, Jason Day, um, Lydia Ko, Justin Rose, when he went on his torrid streak, uh, awesome. and Bryson DeChambeau. Um, people won with their shafts in the bag, and the shaft world's weird. Like, you, there, there's oddly even more kind of political type bizarre things in order to get play. Uh, you know, get shafts in play on tour. Um, you know reading that political landscape and and they went from a total outsider to shafts in play on major tours in the bags of some of the best players in the world that also went on to win with those shafts in their bag. So I mean their their ascension was like you know it was crazy. And probably in in context
4: from from a literal nobody to to winning on tour more than once in more than one player bag, faster than than any product I've seen in the decade plus I've been doing this. Or All right, but eight, what's the there's...
2: what's the difference? Yeah. What's the difference between these guys and another you know, Fujikura or whatever or manufacturer?
3: Well, so that's that's what we're getting to. I think with the red range is that there is an inherent problem, and the one thing a shaft can't do is break, and their shaft started to break. Some of it in testing. Tony and I both experienced that um and you know people some of them were breaking in, in lab situations and, and part of the problem is J- uh, john Senden snapped one during live television that from what we were told that shaft should have never made it out there uh yeah, it had that was, been
4: that was a, a you know somebody pulled a shaft out of essentially a a pile of known defective shafts not not aware that it was pulling out of you know
3: well, they had a, they did have more defective shafts than most people, so the pile was the pile was a little p- pile was too big to begin with, and it shouldn't have made it out there. But the problem was, you know, once you start to have that reputation, right? Uh, that's a really tough thing to potentially overcome. Like Samsung's phones when they started setting on fire. Yeah, pro, pros aren't going to trust that out on tour. No, so they, they figured out what was the problem. It, was, was it a
0: quality issue, or was it just that somebody pulled from the wrong?
3: No manufacturing. It was a manufacturing yeah, they've, issue. They have
1: owned it. I mean, when you make something new, there's a there's a learning curve, right? And I think no one would say that they don't make a quality shaft. I think there was just a learning curve to what they were doing, and I think they'll get it right this time. And and I think the fact that Titleist, what did what did you say, Tony, in the article? I mean, Titleist has the most rigorous, you know, testing of products.
4: Yeah. It's so it's it's kind of interesting. So nothing nothing goes into a Titleist club without being rigorously tested so if if you're shaft company a right and you've got a new model and you want not not just to carry it as stock but if, if you want Titleist to potentially sell it as a as an upgrade or something like that you've got you've got to pass the Titleist quality control check process whatever you want to call it they do it with grips they do it with shafts again anything they attach to a club and when they showed it to me I was like man this is this is pretty extreme. I've, I've never seen anything like this to this extent with the other manufacturers I've visited. So when I when I came home, I made a few phone calls, called some shaft guys, talked to some grip guys too and was like, "Hey, you know, are any manufacturers harder to work with in terms of getting product in their lineup to anybody else than than the other guys?" And to a man, they said Titleist. And so, seeing that process and seeing some of the stuff that didn't make it through and why it didn't make it through, I've I've become just in a big sense a, a firm believer in if if Titleist doesn't carry it, there's, there's a good reason, and, and it's reason enough for you not to want it. And so, you know, to put all of this in the context of TPT, with the with the original blue LKP series, which was the one predominantly in play on tour, the ones that Chris and I broke, the one that they had issues with, that one didn't make it through the Titleist qualifying process. and, and Not I'm told even it close. Wasn't close, yeah. yeah. And so, you know, Titleist has, in this case particularly, weeded out a bad product. Or at least a product that had potential issues, and so you know TPT says, "Hey, yeah, we we made it through Titleist with both the high and low in the red range," and so I reached out and I said, "Hey, can can you confirm this?" And they're like, "Yeah, no, they're they're good to go with this stuff." To me, that's a at least a, a huge positive to say, to say that at least the quality piece, right? Take the performance discussion off of the table. If a shaft fits you, great. If you know, there's TPT is not going to fit everybody. That's not realistic, but to at least know that, Hey, now there the shaft is in the marketplace and, and breakage and durability should not well, be an let's issue. Let's get as to as the
1: part forward. that golfers would probably care more about. You know, obviously they don't expect products to break and they shouldn't, but once they get over the fact that a product is out on the market and it's not breaking, What are the advantages that potentially a golfer would see performance-wise with a TPT shaft versus another big name brand shaft, Chris?
3: Yep. So three things really to, yeah, to just distill it down to that. So the idea is that in general, there's a trade-off between how a shaft feels and maximizing ball speed. So if we take these things independent of one another, that sometimes a shaft that feels softer, has higher torque... Um, might allow you to get a little bit more ball speed, but that tends to come at the expense of accuracy. What they're trying to do with the TPT Red Range is mitigate some of that opportunity cost. So point of fact, what they're saying you can do is better players can... Hit the ball further, get a little more ball speed without sacrificing accuracy, and have the shaft feel a little bit better. So that's point one. Point two is that particularly so they have two two models to it, high and low. The high model is going to be geared more toward players that you might you know, generally lower swing speed players who typically they get kind of trickled down or watered down technology in a lot of shaft manufacturer lineups.
2: Yeah,
4: there's no there's Next to no premium offerings in that space, right? We get it all the time when we post shaft reviews. Typically, the, the aftermarket stuff, the expensive stuff, which, which talks about quality and performance benefits and has all of that stuff to the story, excludes the slower swing speed player because it relies on exotic materials to stiffen it up and do all these things that, that slower swing speed players don't necessarily need.
3: Yep. So that's not the case here. It's the same process, same manufacturing uh, process, same materials, same everything, just built, designed, and engineered uh, specific to people with those swing characteristics. So the way I thought of it was kind of like, uh, I remember the first time I saw a little kid walking around with a on an authentic pair of like Air Jordan shoes, where it was like, in size three, it was the same mesh, the same air pocket, the same everything just built for this little kid, right? And they still cost, you know, you know, 80, 90 bucks or whatever. Same case here, though. The shafts are not cheap. They're 500 bucks a pop, which means... Oops. Yeah, which means they're not going to be... Damn, you know, that you know,
1: shaft rack behind you is worse than do re mi, Tony. hmm
3: <laughs> So what's going to happen, you know, so... You know, you may not see it in OEM lineups because it would be a $500 upcharge. I mean, you might be paying more for the shaft than than the driver head. It's going to be through retail channels, through Club Champion, through, you know, select fitters and locations like that. Um, So I wouldn't necessarily expect to see it like in Titleist lineup, even though it did pass all of their durability tests. It's probably going to be a pretty, you know, niche. uh, product for you know at least for the foreseeable future and we'll see maybe they can scale up production and get to a point where that price point comes down a little bit but for yeah for right now it's a lot of dollar bills on the wall behind tony
2: all right well let's let's talk about how does it actually play for for me when i when i'm deciding what shaft to put in there i want to feel the layers and i want to feel where the club is at all times does it feel like it's just a one piece and a plank of wood or if you tip it, does it change the diet the the actual function of the shaft? Like what? How does it play? So
4: that's a first of all, like so. I haven't had a chance to hit these yet, so I can't tell you kind of my perception of how it feels. But what's interesting about the way the T TPT shaft lineup works? There, there's no flexes on it. So this is. You know, so the model closest to me is a is a model sixteen low, and I would I would have to look at, at the website. Why to tell do you what that? that? That's is, so, so confusing. What well, is well because point? it's because it again it's a it's a product that is designed to be custom fit, right? It's designed to, to be bought at a cool clubs or a TXG by by somebody who's really going to work. We well, put it to, this way: we drive, we
1: complain about everybody calling something stiff, right? right? Right. They're not doing that. They are doing this probably. In a maybe maybe not easier to understand way, but for a custom fitting way, probably better. Right, because well, yeah, Tony so-
3: walks in and says, Hey, you're a 70X, and goes into his fitting and say, Hey, I've been a 70X for as long as I know. I go into the store and I say, Yeah, I need a I need a 3632 pant. And they say, Yeah, we don't do that in <laughs> BTW, not a 36. But they say <laughs> they go, uh, we have sizes, you know, one through, you know, or A B C D E. What are you? I said, I don't know. And that removes that part of the conversation. My preconceived notions around, I play an X, I play a stiff, I'm a 60 this, blah, blah, blah. I can go on there in a monitor and they say, okay, 16, 17, 18. And we start looking at the different numbers that those produce. And all of a sudden, I'm getting fit now based on data, feedback, etc. I don't care if it's a 16 because a 16 doesn't attack my manhood the way that a regular does. The numbers on the shafts aren't for you. They're for the fitters.
4: Right. Okay. Whereas if you're a guy who says, I, I play a 60S and you get and a fitter hands you a 50R or, or
1: some equivalent. Yeah, of you get a subconsciously think. It's- yeah,
4: you're going to be like, I, I don't care. Like no matter how good those numbers are, you're going to leave there wondering. Yeah,
1: golfers, we know golfers have no clue what they actually need. And they come in telling you what they think they need. And what we see from a data perspective sometimes goes totally contrary to that. So that, like Chris said, removing that part of the discussion puts it on the fitter and gets them a better product without them having the preconceived notion that it's the wrong product when they go out there on the course and swing it. They want to take the golfer out of the equation and make it about the right fit rather than what people think
3: it might be.
4: Yeah, it's just like get out of your own head and find the shaft that works. Yeah,
3: more importantly, yeah, the golfer's ego because I'm not walking out of that shop with a pair of pants. If it says 40 on it, I'm not buying them. (laughs) I don't care if it fits or not. Just like I'm not walking out if it says, if it's a 60X, I mean, come on, man. I'm a man. I got to be at least a stiff, if not an extra stiff. I mean, if you knew how many people that when I did more of a fitting part of
1: my career that came in and said, I needed a stiff or an extra stiff that swung at 75 miles an hour. And you, I mean, that happened every single day. And this eliminates that. And by the way, we need to have an intro to this section that is, This is for shaftoids only, like, period. (laughs) We have gone way down a teepee trail. I
0: was going to say, you were speaking in a language that I, like, understood about that much of.
3: (laughs) Yeah, this is shaftoids only right here, fellas. But if you're spending $500 on a shaft, you better be some level of shaftoid. I look at it totally differently. People that go into Club Champion and pay
1: $1,200 for a damn driver, they don't know shit about driver shafts but TPT is a good option for him you know That's yeah true. but
4: but the point is right given just in general if you're going to spend $500 on on something like a shaft where there is a component of hey this this may or may not fit you if you're essentially at best flipping a coin you're probably rolling a you know 12-sided die or something like that more realistically um yeah i just i don't understand why you wouldn't go except you know i would say hey go to a txg or a cool clubs or or a club champion true spec somewhere get properly fit but i say that also fully aware that there are there are pockets of the country in which we live that going and getting fit for the shaft isn't an option and so for that guy who almost has to roll the dice on on an ebay offering if you will like I guess in that respect, it's uh, TPT is a, a little bit, bit more, more complicated. complicated but, yeah, but they do that yeah. anyway
2: with when they go out and see a driver marketed and be like, "Hey, that's a great driver. I'm gonna go buy that one." And it's a lottery yeah, ticket, yeah, so it's,
4: it's, a, it's a lot of money to to not make sure you get the right product.
1: Golfers been playing lottery tickets for forever. I mean, yeah, there's a, there's a lot of scratch off loser clubs that they bought. Off I did.
2: Team. I did until I came
1: to my golf spot. Yeah, I couldn't believe how short you hit the ball for how hard you swung when you first came to my house. But that was uh, 285 to 285 to 300. Driver swing speed of 125 and hitting it 280. That's embarrassing. What was your spin when you first started? Like 5,000 with the driver, right?
2: (laughs) No, it was was, was 3,500 range.
1: Jeez. There was definitely some five thousanders in well, there. Well, that's
2: that's with like a, a flex a that just kicks.
3: Hey, like Chris, he, he's he's not Andre thought five thousand. He's he's Harry five <laughs> he's he's thousand. Right. Exactly, little outcast action, which makes me, yeah, it's funny when you're talking about the K-Sig putter or the K K S one. Is that what they call it? All yeah. I could all I could think about was K R S one, and I don't know if anybody else had that issue, but that's me. Knowledge reigns supreme. That's what it stands for. Little hip hop history of the day.
0: All I needed right. that. That might not be a bad note to end on. Hip hop history of the day.
4: Are we are we not gonna talk about ball lab at all? You motherfuckers. I expect hours, hours taking Sharpies and marking
1: golf balls and really Miranda Look what Miranda Miranda tee it up. Tee it up for Tony so he can go off.
0: So Tony, you've set up a pandemic in home golf ball test lab, right?
4: Yeah, well, it, it, we, we planned it before the pandemic, but I guess you could say it's the pandemic has given me a little more time to to get going. Yeah, so we are, we are I guess, kind of the backstory. We've talked about this before. Um, condensed version, during the ball test last year, we saw some really weird stuff. Mm-hmm. Uh, and some of it we were able to explain by cutting balls open. But coming out of that, we really wanted to kind of better understand what are the differences between golf balls who makes a quality product, a consistent product, that sort of thing. And so we've invested, a for us, a, a decent chunk of money in, in some gauges and some tooling that will allow us to to measure golf balls for compression, size, weight, um, some other things as well we're finding. Roundness. And so I've spent the last couple of uh, – the better part of the last couple of weeks marking balls because we need to measure at three points on each one and then running them through the gauges. Um, yeah, it's uh, – it's time consuming, but it's already proven to be interesting, to say the least. With some
1: let of me let me ask you sir. a question, Tony. What are, what do you think consumers can expect to learn? You know, let's look try to retrospectively look back. Like it's two years now away from us doing ball lab stuff, and obviously you can't. You did predict that the tailor-made driver was going to be number one, Golf Stradamus. But I know you can't predict everything. But if you were to predict what people are going to learn out of Golf Lab, what would be the most eye opening things? Uh,
4: I, I think, and again, so ultimately we're going to measure three dozen of everything minimum. Um, but just kind of the early returns, like this idea that, Hey, I'm all you're paying for with a higher price ball is, is tour contracts. That's, that's why they're more expensive. I I can tell you right now. No, no, there's uh, that that is definitely not the extent of it by any stretch of the imagination. The early indications are it's just a higher quality product in those situations. Um, yeah, so that that's one piece. Like money well spent is probably how I would, I would suggest it. It's um, probably the the thing that that I found most surprising early on. Right, we we think, hey, all right, a ball has a compression of eighty five. Right, typically when I measure a ball in three places, I get a range of of one to two compression points. So you know, equivalent of saying, hey, this ball is the same anywhere you hit it. But every now and again I find a ball where it's it's eight to ten compression points different from, from one end to the other. And it's essentially like saying you have two balls in one. So you know not just not just hey, if, if you lose if you're playing a ball and, and you lose it in the next, put a next one in play that one might be different you have a situation where the ball itself a single ball will play differently depending on where on the ball you hit it because the compression range is so wide on on a single ball and so like eight to ten
3: so like eight to ten compression points what difference would that make to me if i tee it up and i hit it on one side and i hit it you know whatever and it's the other one and it's eight to ten different what am i going to notice
4: well it's going to feel different for sure you know, whether or not you're able to perceive that distance difference is, depends on the golfer. You know, people people tell me that a golfer will notice a, a difference from somewhere between five and ten compression points. So you know, you're you're probably gonna feel a difference depending on if it's you know, there is a correlation between speed and and compression. So you're gonna arguably have like a, a slow spot or a fast spot on the ball. It's just one of those things, right? You want the ball to be, and it's going to be your different your distances are going to be different depending on that, you know, not massively, but again, if if you want a golf ball to be consistent and I and I think you do, right? Then these kind of thing matters. I wouldn't
1: There's a couple other things. There are balls and manu- well, sorry, there are manufacturers and brand uh, ball brands that are more consistent than others. We know that to be true and you're finding that to be true already. There's also brands that don't make round balls all the, the time. Exactly <laughs> my
2: point. That's like, was, um, That's the biggest thing that you're going to find is compression side is not the biggest thing. It's, it's the, the not round is the biggest thing is, in my this opinion. This is one
4: where the roundness <laughs> thing is as we get deeper and, and have larger sample sizes and we can start looking at those the, the measure the three size measurements we take plus what we're getting out of our ring gauges. This is a situation where Within the last couple days, especially, and and part of this is because you know I'm kind of pulling boxes out of the incubator at random, and just within the last day, have have done some less expensive balls, kind of some two piece stuff, some ionomer covers, and you just come to realize you're like, son of a bitch, none of these are round, like where six of them, half of the dozen are are verifiably, no doubt, not round. Like we you, we have this size gauge, and I'll bring it next time. But you you put it in the in the hole and in one orientation it drops right through and in another it just hangs there and you're like yeah it's i have the industrial version of that and you're like tink 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 and it doesn't drop and huh. then you rotate it 90 degrees and it falls right through and you see this with so many balls and you're like if if there's one fundamental understanding that i have about a spherical object used in sports is that it that it should be round a golf ball is supposed to be round and and i'm finding an alarming percentage Particularly in lower cost models, which which just aren't. So that that's pretty crazy. It's the f- equivalent
1: of going to the basketball court at a shitty gym that they give you the loaner basketball, you know, and you go to dri- <laughs> you go to drop it down to dribble and it shoots off oh. to the right, doesn't come right back up to you. I, I mean, I, I've had a couple. It'd be like dribbling a football, um,
4: maybe not to that extent. So and let then- me
1: ask you real quick, Tony. Would you say that you have found that more to be true so far? In direct consumer balls than uh, the the bigger ball brands. So uh, I, I
4: can't say that yet because so far where I've seen the biggest roundness issue is is you know in the twenty to thirty dollar space from almost everybody across the board um, with with few exceptions and and those are exceptions are largely probably because I haven't measured many of them yet in in that space but yeah with the the direct to consumer again narrow sample size. Three dozen and, and kind of the one thing that, that's happened in, in each of the three is there's there's one ball that's like ten compression points different from the rest. So you're like, all right, so basically I got eleven of one model and and one of another. And obviously you don't know which one that is. And it'd be interesting to see if that trend continues as we, we ramp up our sample sizes again and how much we see of that in, in the bigger OEM balls as well.
3: And because and somebody then, will ask, we did separate and order different balls from different retail outlets, from different distribution yeah. plants, etc. So, So these were not sent to us by manufacturers. They weren't cherry-picked, any of that stuff.
4: We've purchased all of these balls at retail where possible, um, not always with some of the direct-to-consumer brands. And even that, we've tried to spread it out. So if I can get them on Amazon, I'll get them on Amazon. If I can get them on golfballs.com, i get them on golfballs.com and then order a dozen direct or have somebody i know order a dozen direct basically the idea is we we want to make sure that not only are we we not dealing with samples that were sent to us but we're also sourcing from from different places so that hopefully we're we're pulling balls from different batches i guess you say or
3: just like just like a consumer would buy them yeah
4: yeah and and i think like some of the more interesting stuff we'll probably test you know we'll buy another dozen of later in the year to see you know all right what is, does anything change as we go through a year? Is there a significant difference? From all right. So for ball? golfers
1: out there that want to see these results, when do you think the first ball lab results will be trickling out here?
4: Well, so as we said, right, where we bought, or when we, when all said and done, we're going to have about sixty dozen that'll be our first batch. And the reason we wanted to load up out of the gate is so that we kind of develop an understanding of what is normal, what is average, what is expected. So I'm I'm hoping within a, a couple more weeks I'll have that first batch done. I'm I'm averaging 5 plus or minus 5 dozen a day. Uh, All right,
1: so everybody out there that's listening, if you're still listening after about 3 hours of this uh no puts <laughs> given, um you tell us what kind of golf ball that you want us to put out for the first ball lab report and uh we'll see if we can make that happen. I'm sure it's probably the Callaway Chrome Soft 2020, but if there's a runner up, love to hear it.
4: Yeah, and and speaking of the Callaway uh, Chrome Soft 2020, I measured one dozen. Have not cut them yet. Um Compression, initial impressions, seems relatively consistent through the dozen. Watch, and Lenny, don't eat my microphone. Dog's here. Um, the one thing I will say, I did find one ball that is non-conforming within the dozen. Uh, very much undersized. And Callaway is not the only one I've, I've found a non-conforming ball with. Um, but uh, certainly probably the most notable to date. And that's another one. It's like, you know, what is, what is the rate of, of balls that just aren't legal by USGA standards that are finding their way into the wild. So, And to
3: clarify that, a ball can be a certain size or bigger. It has to be that size. It just can't be smaller.
4: 1.68 inches in diameter.
3: Right. Can't be any smaller. Can Tony, oh, really quickly, why would somebody want to make a smaller ball?
4: Um, they tend to be a little bit faster. And not for anything, they say you can save a ton of material costs, right?
1: Just... It's crazy to think that, right? But if you do that a million times, you save a lot of money.
4: Yeah, so it's um and again, like I you know, I tested a dozen, I found one that was wonky. So it's kinda know, like ideally, the difference between
0: a baseball and a softball. Baseball goes further. Smaller, more Oof. compact. There
3: you, there you go. go.
4: I mean, there's there's some very kind of eye opening, interesting things I've found already. So I think, you know, once we really get up to scale and, and hey, buddy. See what's going on, it's gonna be particularly kinda Again, eye-opening because this is this is not, and I think the perception exists out there from some people. Like every time we do something like this, it's it's meant to be a you to to an in, to the industry or a company, a specific company. And in fact, like you know, we find things, right? We we test. That's what we do. We find things. We <laughs> they make us very curious. Some of these findings, and so we look for explanations. And so, what Ball Lab is 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 really a way to, to try and find more answers from what we observed during the, the robot testing. And and so far it's been, um, it's been interesting, exciting, uh, (laughs) a lot more effort in marking balls than I thought would be. Uh, Shrixon, Bridgestone, really, really appreciate it, how hard you make it to find the the seam on your golf ball. That's really <laughs> just a lot of fun for me. Uh, TaylorMade, Snell, Titleist, the guys who make it relatively easy. Hey, I got, a mon-
1: I, I got a monocle I can send you, a magnifying monocle. It's just like Stone you're like, where is it, where is it, where is it? You think Bridgestone will give you that big magnifying glass from the PGA show? I really hope so. That was fun.
4: I'd, li- I'd like one of those, and I'd like – um. I like the jig they use for cutting the cutting the balls with the. Milwaukee well, look, too, as much as I
1: invested in. in the ball lab, I'm sure I'd be happy to invest in a magnifying glass or a monitor. <laughs> <laughs> or what are
0: the, the glasses that the surgeons wear that have the little things on the top of them? You know what I'm talking get,
1: about? Tony's got to wear that to every no put's given if that's what we find. <laughs> it's,
4: it's so weird, though, because I'll be playing with a ball, and I'll be like, some of them, I'm like three minutes trying to find the seam, and then the this. next one in the box, I'll pick it up and go, oh, yeah, it's right here. That seems so any, it's just like that it's, seems inefficient to me. It's well, it's a for a really smart guy that doesn't seem very <laughs> smart. It's like no, it's it's a pattern recognition thing, and like sometimes you just pick it up at the right angle, and there it is, and then other times you're like, all right, I give up.
0: Tony, we're glad you're having fun in the ball lab. We'll send you a uh, magnifying glass. But to end this, who has a fun fact or a happy thought to send everybody off with?
4: I mean enchiladas tonight.
0: Ooh,
3: fun fact. Uh. Got a lot of great feedback on the CBD buyer's guide. A lot of people into cool. that stuff. I'm getting tons of people asking, "Hey, when are you gonna do this, that, whatever with it?" Hang on, we got ideas. When we got are you plans doing coming. your real weed buyer's guide? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, it's coming. It's. Com- I I will say this from a positive note.
1: What I hear when I because I, I talk to all the people on the podcast and you know other people that work in my gospel, I, I'm. It's been good and it's been a positive thing to hear. Like, um, yes, we're still working hard and things like that, but the impact the pandemic has had on the families that are involved with my Gospel is like, a. it's been a positive thing to hear. Um, everybody spending more times with their family. And I think this is forcing people. There's never been anything that's happened at the same time like this. That's forced everybody to kind of, maybe not just shift their priorities, but look from a different vantage point, uh, from a different window at life and, I've definitely heard a lot of positive things come out of it from the people at my gospel and people that I'm just friends with. So um, yeah, I, I think coming out of this is we're going to take some great things from it. I know I have. I mean, so,
4: I mean, I don't know. What are we like eight weeks, give or take deep into this? And like every now and then it just dawned on me as we kind of go through day to day life in relatively closed quarters where there's there's really no time apart. And you're just like, I'm just like, shit. How about that? I married the right woman.
1: Right. Yep.
0: Oh, okay well on that note thanks everybody for listening and sticking with us uh and we'll be back next week so what did we say again oh we gosh we've been, we've been doing away from this long enough i forgot we out
1: we <laughs> out we out